This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To Eurograps Express, I'm your host Neil David and we're back once again to talk about all the exciting events and happenings on the British and European wrestling scene. This episode is going to be completely different because we're going extreme. Not something I do very, very often in my life, if I'm honest. I, I tend to live a very unextreme lifestyle. Uh, the most extreme thing I do is eat an entire block of cheese in an evening, um, but I've been left no choice because GCW, the most extreme wrestling promotion in the world, well, certainly in America, I've come over to the UK and paired with the most extreme promotion in England, TNT, to do a big weekender. TNT are a funny promotion. They're not a promotion that I follow particularly closely. They are an extreme promotion. They're a deathmatch promotion, but they, they do a lot of quote, normal wrestling as well. And they're in Liverpool, which is only about 40 minutes or so away from me. I could get there if I wanted to. And when I saw that GCW were going to be there and they were going to do this weekender, I was really tempted to go. I almost got tickets. But then my wife booked a holiday in Marbella, so it's just me and the dog sat here in the middle of the night doing our favourite thing, which is watching wrestling and talking to you lot. But in a way, I'm kind of glad that I didn't go. I mean, when I saw all the pictures of the GCW superstars, I was a bit like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. But I obviously have to talk about it. You know, um, GCW, whether you like them or not, have forced themselves into significance. Do you remember the thick of it? And they do these things called the Zeitgeist tapes for the Prime Minister. So he, you know, the prime minister has to go and and be able to relate to people and be able to talk to the everyday man on the street, but he has no idea what they're interested in. So he doesn't watch EastEnders. He doesn't watch Coronation Street. So what they used to do on the thick of it is make a zeitgeist tape for him. So he could watch this 20 minutes a day or a week or whatever it was. And then he would be completely up to date with everything that was going on. And he could talk about it in a way that was interesting. Now, if you did a zeitgeist tape for wrestling over the last few years, GCW would be really prominent on that. They have been incredibly significant. You know, you think back to those WrestleMania shows, they were maybe not the originals, I don't know enough to say that, but they were certainly at the spearhead of the meme wrestling thing, weren't they? Doing the meme shows, the Joey Janela Spring Break, having the, the crazy gimmick shows, and the rise of the gimmick wrestler that sort of filled a really weird void that was left by NXT. NXT was signing everybody, and the only thing that was left on the independent scene was these strange gimmicks. I know that sounds really judgmental, 
and maybe it is like i don't like it like i'm not i'm not saying that's good but then you think well what what else was there so in a strange way gcw was kind of more prominent than it should have been and their marketing was always amazing do you remember those wrestlemania weekends when nick gage would do a promo the one I'm thinking of in particular is the match he had against Pentagon Jr. And that was when Pentagon was really hot after um, Lucha Underground. It, it was, he felt like the biggest wrestler in the world, didn't he, for about 18 months. And then Nick Gage is dropping this promo about how he likes to kill everyone. And he's murder, death, kill. And he loves this stuff. And he's not going to stop. And he, you know, his, his, his voice is rattling through his teeth. And then it cuts away and Pentagon Jr. is saying, oh, no, I'm going to kill you instead. And even me, like someone who's not a deathmatch person, couldn't help but become captivated in it. I got really carried away and it seemed really exciting. And as wrestling has kind of come back up again with AEW, it feels like GCW are now getting a new niche. They want to be sort of this generation's ECW. And I don't necessarily mean the extreme stuff, although that is obviously part of it. But ECW was always that land of the misfit toys, wasn't it? It was the area, the place that people went who the big companies wouldn't be interested in, who couldn't be given a living by those companies. They had to go and scratch and, and make it for themselves. And that went into Ring of Honor. And it that was a a really grassroots movement that people got carried away with. And I think people really want GCW to be that now. But the problem is, if you're a really good wrestler now, you can go to AEW. A Ring of Honor is, is is on its way back up. So they're in a really strange place where they're almost filling a void that on the one hand exists, because obviously you can't be an independent wrestler and beside to the second biggest promotion in the United States. But on the other hand, the void does really exist because... That's not independence. There's still this this urge for independence, this need for it, I think, from people like me as well, that we don't necessarily want to just look at the, the top thing with all the money that's run by billionaires. We want to see wrestling that's run by people who clearly love it. I am told, and I don't watch very much of them, because to be honest with you, there's too much of it, but I'm told that GCW, the wrestling is actually all right. And looking at the names who they brought over, they brought over the roster you know they brought over what you would see in a normal gcw show which is brilliant i think i think that's that that's that's really good so when this weekend started i was sort of trepidatious excited you know they're they're a company that i was never particularly interested in going into this but i thought you know what i think they deserve a reevaluation and looking at the card and seeing that it was a GCW show, or at least one of them was a pure GCW show, uh, the way they did it was the Friday was uh, a TNT show, the Saturday was a GCW show, and then the Sunday was a uh, a joint show. And, oh, was it, was it Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Whatever it was, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever it was. They did, those, they did them in that order. Um, tell you, I've watched that much GCW this week. It's just become a blur. Now, whether that's a good thing or not, you'll have to wait and see. Um, but don't worry if you're not a fan of the extreme, and I did the X with my hands then, um, just so you know how into the extreme I am these days. Uh, if you're not a fan of that, I've got a show in a library that I'm going to talk about at the end, and I loved it. So 
if you're here for GCW, brilliant, listen to that, and then stick around, because at the end, we're going to talk about something that I thought was really cool. So let's get on to it then. Let's start with TNT Supreme Extreme. It's funny, isn't it, when people talk about wrestling context? Because when I watch RevPro and I always slate the production values, I, it it doesn't fit, does it? Having that bad, grimy production doesn't fit RevPro. Now, this production was absolutely terrible. It was it was awful. The way the sound was going up and down, and the, they looked great, but the sound was absolutely abysmal. But it kind of worked. You know, I don't know what it was. That if you're doing a weekend like this in these extreme promotions, you know, you're doing your you show in a really grimy bar, it would feel weird to have crisp sound. It's funny, isn't it? How you sort of rate things on a curve. Certain things fit and certain things don't. But honestly, the commentary was absolutely unbearable. It, it was just not only, and we'll talk about this more, I think, when we get to the proper GCW show, but it was unbearable in terms of production and in terms of content. They would just, and I'm going to sound like such a prude here, and I'm going to, I can almost hear people roll their eyes, but, the vulgarity was just a bit weird. I know you're extreme. Like, I understand that. I know it's 18 plus and we, we, you know, we're very naughty. And I like that about you. I, I think that's great that we, we get in that niche. But the forced swearing is just... Do you remember when Will Ospreay went to New Japan and he's doing all the flips and he's saying, you know, mother effer and all this business. I can't swear. I'm not being a prude. I can't because I keep forgetting to tick sensitive content on iTunes and I don't want to get banned or anything like that and I suppose that just sums me up doesn't it maybe I'm just not extreme enough for this maybe I'm just I'm just too unextreme I'm too normal I'm too mainstream but anyway let's talk about the wrestling because that's what we're really here to evaluate that's what we're thinking about because GCW is getting this reputation for having good wrestling on their shows so we've got some GCW superstars let's see if they're um, extreme or not I assume they call them superstars because they're all taking pictures with Stephanie McMahon. So, you know, obviously I, I, I don't know how much of that company they admire and they want to take. I assume you call yourself superstars. First up, we had Nick Wayne against Dan Maloney. And I've, I've not seen Dan Maloney for a while, it, it feels. He's not been on Red Pro as much, I don't think. Or at least he's not been as prominent as he has been. And I think that's a good thing. I think the problem that we've got on the British scene at the minute is that you see the same names and the same faces over and over and over again. And it almost doesn't matter how much you love them, because I, I do love Dan Maloney. I think he's brilliant. You can get to a saturation point with them. So it was it was nice to have that bit of a break. And he's against Nick Wayne, a wrestler that I'm obviously really familiar with. He had that match with Will Ospreay. And everyone thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, I'm not hugely comfortable taking that lens with Nick Wayne yet, because one, he is 17. And I'm not one of those people that think 17-year-olds can't wrestle. If you're good enough, wrestle. But it feels unfair, the position that he's in. It's almost like that trepidation I have with progress sometimes, is that I'm looking at them as progress. And they're not anymore. But when I'm judging young wrestlers against that old standard of progress, they're never living up to it. And I think that's kind of the same as Nick Wayne on a more global level. But you are on a global level. You're on Fight TV. So, you're, you're, like I say, you're in probably the most prominent 
independent American promotion. So it's it's really tricky, isn't it? Like whether I'm going to sit here and talk about Nick Wayne and say, well, I didn't really like his punches. He's 17. It, it's it, it's just a really sort of odd thing to, to, to say. And I think that lens of looking at someone as a prospect makes you look at the punches a little bit closely. It's like we say about the Young Lions. I'm looking at them through a very different lens. And I, I feel like I almost want to hold back on somebody like Nick Wayne and come back to him when he's actually established that he's older, he's, he's done things, he's still obviously learning, he has to be. Maloney was really slow and steady during this, and I, if I'm honest, I didn't really like that version of Maloney. He just didn't really play to his strength. Maloney is a beefed-up chav who comes out and wrestles at 100 miles an hour. And wrestling slow and steady didn't really fit to his strengths. And there were lots of moments in this that were incredibly gentle. So... He'd do that snap mare takedown before he does the boot to the back, but it'd be really slow and gentle. And there was this weird dichotomy then with the boot that came afterwards, which was absolutely horrendous and brutal, as you'd expect. But there were just too many moments like that where I just thought, this is very assisted and this is very forced. And that's often my problem with death matches. There's often, in sort of your bog-standard death match, you're just waiting for guys to hurt each other and it's not like they're hurting each other in a storyline kind of way or trying to hurt each other kind of way the actual act of hurting each other exists in a vacuum and it exists on its own and that's enough and i'm i'm gonna say things by the way like that about death matches that are just it's just what i think about them i don't i i respect it obviously like you do awful things. <laughs> i mean some might say stupid but you're doing awful things to each other and I, I understand from a lot of deathmatch wrestlers that it's probably not any more dangerous than going out there and being dropped on your head every day and it, it is what it is and if you like that that's fine but for me when i look at things from a storyline point of view i see things like these gentle snapmares into brutal kicks and i think you were just setting up that brutal kick you weren't wrestling when the speed came from Nick Wayne, it was great. You know, and I think that's what this match needed. It needed a little bit more speed. But there were just too many awkward moments in it. Like a clothesline that was clearly meant to be dodged, but it was just a couple of steps behind. They were a little bit too slow getting themselves into it. The, dr- the driller killer being caught was a gift. You know, Nick Wayne jumped up onto the ropes and jumped back uh, Dan Maloney caught him in his finishing move which is basically a big pile driver, a big Rikisi driver and that should have been awesome but you could tell that Nick Wayne did it in such a gangly awkward way he was jumping to be caught and that's just not good you know, that's just not that's just not good wrestling Um, there was a really awkward challenge at the end as well where, because Dan, uh, Dan Maloney's the TNT champion and he said, you know, you can have a championship shot next time. And he's he's laying the belt down. But he's doing that thing of, like, it's mime. But the room was too quiet. <laughs> so it was just this weird, almost GCSE drama production in front of us. So I don't know. They Like, to start off the weekend, this wasn't really... I mean, it was fine. I mean, I'm probably... I mean, do you want to put a star rating? I... I should I put star ratings on this weekend? I don't think it, it deserves the star ratings. Oh, no, that's unfair. Not the word deserves. I don't think it is served by star ratings because there are things on this weekend that I really enjoyed that if I were to put a star rating on, they'd be quite low. And it would, it would, it wouldn't give an accurate impression of how I felt. It's probably two and three quarters. 
which for a Dan Maloney match against somebody who's supposed to be a red-hot prospect is a disappointment. But they were, you know, it was what it was. Then we had uh, the TNT women's tag match, the she were uh, the she wolves, I should say, against uh, the Liverbirds. The Liverbirds have this story in Liverpool, and the the commentary really wanted to sell the point that Scousers look after their own, and Scousers. I mean, half my family are Scousers, and I know this that they love their city, they take pride in the city, they take pride in their culture and their heritage, and that's great. And the point of the Liverbirds is, is that they're heels in that context, which I think is a great idea. You know, that you're a Scouser that's so annoying and so obnoxious that other Scousers don't like you in a Scouse promotion. And you're the champion. That's a great idea. But the problem was, it wasn't really the story that we had in the ring. So the commentary kept talking and talking and talking about how everyone hates the Liverbirds, and then Lizzie Evo is kicking out of things and getting Evo chants. So there was just a little bit of dichotomy there that I think the commentary needed to react a little bit more to what was going on in front of them because they really, really pushed a story that just wasn't evident. And that's fine. You know, you could say maybe that it's a different weekend and you've got people from other parts or whatever, you know, or don't say anything at all. Just let these people exist in in the world that they're in. You know what I mean? Just like react to what's in front of you. Molly Spartan's a funny one because I think she's objectively not great, but I do still really like her. She's got that star power that I think overcomes her shortcomings in the ring and that that's wrestling 101, isn't it? I suppose you play to your strengths. Um, the match fell apart a little bit, if I'm honest. And when it was Molly Spartan against Lizzie Evo, it was good. When it was Angel Hayes and Casey, it wasn't so good. You know, there were just little bits where they did the Irish whip into the corner. And you know that kind of move where you grab the top rope and you jump up and your opponent runs under you. But then the the opponent tripped and hit a head off the middle rope, apropos of nothing. And it again, it's, it's those little... Kayfabe breaking moments, and kayfabe is really fragile, isn't it? That you can really suspend your disbelief for lots and lots of things, but then something like that will happen, and I just think, well, this isn't this isn't right. You know, it's like a digital watch in Star Wars or something. Like you see all these lightsabers and and strange space wizards flying things around with their mind, but then if you see a digital watch, you'd be like, oh, that's not right. That's weird. And it is kind of that sort of thing. Like again, context matters. Evo's, do you know what? I've decided about Lizzie Evo. I think she's nearly good. She, it's really funny with her because I watch a match and I'll think, oh, she's good, Lizzie Evo. And then I'll watch a match and go, oh, actually, she's not that good, is she? And then the next match, I'll watch a match thinking, oh, yeah, no, she's not that good. And then I'll think she's good. So I, I really flip-flop between it. Like, she can obviously be good and, and, and it is what it is. Um, at the end of this as well, I'm not sure if the legal woman got the pin. And I, I don't know if that's the sort of thing that only bothers me. I think it says something that I didn't go back and check. But anyway. Um, then we had Tate Mayfairs against Jordan Oliver. And if we talk about wrestlers that are being evaluated, I think these are two 
well, maybe not so much Tate Mayfair's, but certain Jordan Oliver seems to be one who's the topic of conversation on lots of podcasts and lots of written reviews that I'm reading. And he, he seems very Marmite. People either seem to think he's absolutely excellent or he's absolute trash. You know, you go in his cage match and he's got nines and tens and twos and threes. He, he really is interesting to look at. It reminds me of, you know, when you go to see a film and you go on Metacritic and the best films are rated 50 and when you click on them, it's they've got a load of a hundreds and a load of zeros. You know, that's it, it lets you put that critical mindset uh, in your brain and go and watch it with something with a little bit of an extra few layers. And I, I like that. I like Tate Mayfair's now, and I, I was really harsh on him back when I was writing for Voices, and perhaps I shouldn't have been because I was only ever really seeing him in progress. And now he's he's worked in a lot of different places. He's got better. He's got more experienced. And I think he's got that snobby, rich, Tory boy gimmick down better than pretty much anybody. You know, you look at someone like Spike Trevay and he's he's lost his mind, hasn't he? He's talking about all that nonsense with Cara Noir and he's just, he's been really abstract and weird. Whereas I think what Tate Mayfair's can do is just keep it really subtle. He's rich, he's better than you. He gets in the ring and he does a downward dog. And it's just agitated to see somebody arrogantly do a downward dog. I never thought a yoga pose could be agitated, but he's good enough to make it agitated. So I think that Tate Mayfair's is potentially one to watch now he's free from NXT UK. I don't think he ever really did anything in NXT UK, did he? I can't really remember. Um... I mean, if we're talking about evaluating Jordan Oliver, the first thing he did this weekend was try and do a flip into the ring and slip, which was unfortunate for him, I suppose. You know, I, I don't really believe that all oh, first impressions are lasting. You know, it's what it, it just made me laugh. Uh, this got silly quick. And there was lots of things in this that press my very particular buttons. And I can forgive one of them, but there's always a couple you know, when you start getting into a couple of them, it really starts to agitate me. So they encouraged the dueling chants at the start. They they didn't wrestle for a few minutes so they could wind the crowd up into dueling chants. Will you let me know in the Discord if that's... Di- Discord? The Discord, if that's just me. Because I, I don't know why that just bothers me. I feel like it's cheap. It's like the old cheap heat thing, isn't it? Of like, oh, this insert town name here stinks and your sports team's pants... It's like the babyface version of that, and I, I don't really get it. I, I'm not really into it. And then they did this thing where Tate Mayfair's had the knuckle dusters in his boots, and it, it just all felt a little bit cringe. And I think the best Tate Mayfair's is when he's around people who can give him a little bit of guidance, it seems. So the best Tate Mayfair's I've seen is in Pro Wrestling Chaos. And I know he's got people around him there who know their onions, and they probably are giving him a bit of advice and, and helping him put his matches together and I wonder if he's around different people that can change and that, that's not a criticism that is what it is for some people it was almost good this it was almost good there were just too many bits where like for example Oliver would push Tate and Tate would pretend that he'd, he poked him in the eye the old Eddie Guerrero thing you know pretending that he was hurt but it just went on too long like, we got what was going on, and it needed a quicker payback. It was a joke that... Do you know, like, when you read a post on Reddit, and they say it's a joke, and it takes you forever to read it, and you, you, the longer it takes you, the better that punchline has to be. And the punchline for this spot wasn't very good. 
then it was almost good again, but there was too much crowd appeal. And I, I feel like Oliver's impact is just very gentle. I don't think where, the way he moves is very impactful. It looks like he's training, doing moves. You know, like maybe having a little bit of a training match, almost like the wrestling equivalent of a spa. You know, it just does, it seems very rehearsed and practiced and in that mode, it doesn't feel very violent often, which is, I mean, what he's doing is often really dangerous. It just, it often feels just a little bit gentle and not really for me. There was a tree of woe in this, talking about another one. I hate the tree of woe. I feel like, you know, we said before about little things can break kayfabe. That's one thing. I feel like on this side with the tree of woe, it insults my intelligence. If you're going to put Jordan Oliver in a tree of woe, go to the other side of the ring and do a coast to coast. And he's not going to be able to get himself free. Come on. That does bug me. Again, tell me, am I overreacting? Now we've got a, <laughs> a ladder match. And we're told this is the, the extreme division. And it's Clint Margera against Alex Colon. And I've got to put my biases out here. I felt straight away as they're putting all the light bulbs out. The light tubes in this country are just light bulbs to me. And doors. Doors seems to be the new thing. And I, I, like I say, I just think, I'm not going to like this, am I? Um, but I will say this. There was a dueling chant, which was annoying, but they at least had the decency to get violent quick. There was a power bomb through the door quickly. And I think if you're going to do a deathmatch spectacle, just do the deathmatch spectacle. Some of the deathmatches that I watch that I really don't like is where they do perfunctory, protocol-based hammer locks for five minutes and then just start whacking each other on the head with saws. And you think, just do the saw bits. And I, I, they had the decency to do that here, which, which I really, really liked. Alex Colon... It does the light bulb thing really weirdly. He kind of flicks it like he's doing like a steel pan. Like if you've ever played a steel pan and you're told to sort of flick it, you know, don't leave the, the to don't deaden the sound. I've only played a steel pan once, by the way. It was a thing with work and we, we it was like an event. So don't like I'm not, I do not play the steel pan. So don't ask me any questions about about the steel pan. But he sort of, he does this flick. And he just seems so soft. So you've got all this glass exploding everywhere and blood. And he's doing these really gentle taps with the with with the light bulb. It just I, I don't know, I just I just don't really get it. And it was really odd because he'd smash he'd he'd smash um Clint with the light bulb and Clint would fall down and be selling it going, ah, I really hurt you with the light bulb. And then he'd smash the other half on his own head and completely no sell it. Weird, like, isn't it? Like, you say this move is awful and de it's, in these death matches, the light tube has just become a chop, it's become a punch. I realise I sound very cornet there as well, by the way, but it's true, isn't it? And I, that's not a bad thing, I don't think. It's just the level now has, has increased to such a point that I don't know Oh, no, actually, they did. Later in the weekend, they did some things that made me feel a bit ill. But anyway, uh, they, they went outside and they 
brawled outside for a bit and then Clint Margera was put on a chair and they did an extreme clothesline, which is probably the best spot of the whole match. Uh, and then there was a plate glass spot, which was like, ridiculous. Like putting some other... And it didn't look gimmicked either. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it doesn't matter. If it didn't look gimmicked, then who cares? It was real, wasn't it? That's how it works in this business. But it just ended then. And I felt like the plate glass spot was an escalation. It felt like it was bringing us up to the next point, And that was the finish. So I don't know if I became extreme whilst watching this match. That someone going through a plate glass window was not enough for me. I wanted more. I wanted the, the next level. You know, we had the light bulbs. We had the chair. We had the plate glass. What did I want next? I don't know. Something so extreme I would never think of it. Uh... It was an extreme match, but at the end, they shook hands and they cheered for each other um, out of respect for this business. So they both bled for it. They both bled for the business and they had respect for each other, which was nice. Um, Next, we had Kings of the North against uh, Joe Lando and Callum Newman. Uh, Joe Lando and Callum Newman are proper prospects, to use a bit of alliteration. I really really like Callum Newman in particular. He's done some great work in RevPro. I know he's very close to Will Ospreay. I think he's part of Will Ospreay's training school and Will's kind of picked him as the as as the next guy. I don't know if he is. I don't feel like he's got the charisma, but you've got to add a yet to the end of that because he's very young. It's sort of hard to remember now what Will Ospreay was like at that age. You know, I saw some gifts going around from PWG. He was talking about it, wasn't he, on Twitter, Will Ospreay. Do you remember that year? Was it 2014 when a load of British people went over uh, and he had a load of great matches and he does have a bit of the feel of the Prince of Pace about him. And it wasn't until he went to New Japan and did the chaos thing that it became this meet me at McDonald's Will Ospreay. So it feels weird to say he's not got charisma because he's so young. Honestly, this was... This was pants. Like, this this wasn't a good match. It was really, really clumsy. Uh, Kings of the North were too slow. They couldn't really keep up with the younger team. And the younger team were too sloppy to kind of boost it back up. I think that's the fairest thing I can say about it. It just didn't really work. There were lots of little things with pins while legs were under ropes. Uh, and also, again, to talk about the commentary, they draw attention to things like... Newman and Lando would be doing these really clumsy spots and then the commentary would say, oh, how do you learn such synchronicity? Like they're Torval and Dean. And it, it, you could... It, 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 it doesn't... I think in a way maybe the commentary were thinking if we say this, it will make... We can sell it. You know, we can persuade people that he's actually good. But it so obviously was a borderline botchy and clumsy that it just really drew attention to that. They drew attention to the shortfalls of the match. There were little bits where, you know, the structure was good, like hot tags and things, but there were bits where they'd be going for a tag and they could clearly reach, but they were pretending that they couldn't because that spot wasn't up yet. You know, it's that sort of thing that it doesn't matter to me how impressive the spots are when things like that are happening. Or it matters a lot less. You know, cool stuff's still cool, isn't it? That's been a bit of a... A motto on the podcast. You know, we love a spot fest. But 
I feel like we need to almost repurpose what a spot fest is. Spot fest is. I think this was a spot fest because it was just people sort of doing moves that didn't really connect with each other. You know, people tend to use spot fest to describe matches where lots of action happens, and that's not a spot fest. This is a spot fest if you want to look at it in a negative way. Um, but no, not a good match. Um, the Spanish flies were great. Um, do you know what? The Kings of North, I, I, I didn't know. If, they just they wrestled like they'd, be, they'd just woken up from a coma. Do you know that thing where, that dream where you, you're doing a test and you've not studied for it, or you suddenly find yourself on stage and you've got a guitar in your hand and you don't know how to play. It was like that. They'd woken up and they'd suddenly wrestlers and they didn't realise... I, yeah, just, just, just not for me. Um, I think what was really weird about this as well. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop slating this match in a minute. But you know, I said they were doing some really clumsy botches. There was one of those moves where, and this is often around like Spanish flies and things like that, where a move will happen, but you're not sure who did the move and who was supposed to be hurt. Do you know that sort of thing? And they did something like that where I wasn't sure who was on the offense and who was on the defense until somebody started uh, selling. But then they played a replay of it. It's like when companies gif botches, they gif really bad wrestling, but I don't get it. Like, you'd you'd have got away with it, to be honest with you. I don't think it was a match-killing thing. It just was what it was, but you, you did a replay of it. Anyway, next up. Let's talk about something good, because this was good. Blake Christian against Dean Mark. I am always up for Dino. I think Dean Mark as how you feel about Dean Mark, I think, says a lot about you as a wrestling fan. I think you have to respect Dean Mark. He's been around for years. He's been consistently great for years as well. He's been that mid-card guy on every British card up and down the country, and he always delivers. I think he was robbed with his progress run. I think they there was a much better story there on the table of the one last chance kind of Johnny Cash last album run that they didn't give him and he deserved. He just had him lose a couple of boring matches. I think they could have, you know, the Tim Storm thing. That's what they needed to do. Do the Tim Storm NWA five pound a gold run, but with him in progress. But progress don't think like that, do they? But anyway, here is going to be really good. And Blake Christian, I think, if I'm looking at all these GCW wrestlers, I think Blake Christian's my favourite. I think he's really good. I think he's he takes it a bit more seriously than the rest of them. I think he's a, a lot more competent. I mean, they've got some competent wrestlers, don't get me wrong. I think he's the crispest. I think he's the cleanest. I think when you put him in the ring with Dean Mark, they're going to have a good match, and they did. The opening of this was exciting, fast. The selling was on point. The moves were perfect. It felt like they considered how to build it. And that was what was missing from a lot of matches this weekend. That they'd not really considered, first and foremost, the story of the match. And here they had. And I don't know whether to give all the credit to Dean Allmark, because I think a lot of it has to go to Blake Christian as well, because I've seen him have other matches this weekend where he was also really good. Um... The only weird thing about this is that the crowd seemed a little bit bored by it. And I didn't get it because to me, this was the best match. And I don't think you can blame having a death match before it because this was more exciting than the death match, I think, to me. I suppose TNT are a different crowd, aren't they? They want the death match. 
And I, I don't really believe in that anyway. I think if you're having a good match, it doesn't matter what's gone on before you. You know, think of those Wrestle Kingdoms when they'd be five, four plus star matches in a row. So I don't know what was up with the audience for this one. It just, I thought it was, maybe it was a sound issue, I don't know. But I thought it was better than they gave it credit for. Then we had Session Moth against Ali Catch. And I'm a bit nervous about talking about this because I feel that if I analyse and talk about what is obviously in front of me on this match, or during this match, I should say, people aren't going to like what I've got to say. But I've got to be honest, Session Moth Martina, I think, needs a big shake-up. I think this gimmick now is a bit sad. It's like when you meet old friends or you, I don't know if you do, I mean, I've never been to one, but like a high school reunion or you bump into people you used to know from a past life and they're still the same. They still do this. And it sounds like really judgmental, this, doesn't it? And I think, you know, if you're happy, you're happy. And that's ultimately what matters. But it's sort of jarring sometimes, isn't it? To be like, oh, you still do the same stuff. You still, you've not got any new interest. You've not seemed to have grown in any way. And that's what Session Moth Martina's like to me. It was a fine gimmick when it was in the middle of a great card, you know, when Britress was in the boom and it was a bit of an amuse-bouche, you know, comedy works in that and that comedy in particular worked in that environment. But now, it reminds me of that Dave Spikey joke. He said he got a heckled and the heckle was in like in a working man's club in the north and the heckle was, tell us a joke we know. And it feels like that. It feels like, well, I know this joke. I've heard it before. And then Ali Catch was part of that original big boom of gimmick wrestlers where her gimmick was that she was a cat. And then she changed her gimmick and her gimmick now is she's Ali Catch and her gimmick is that she's a wrestler. It's weird that, isn't it? it I should like that and I know I should. I, I can feel myself describing it. Like I was writing notes for it and I thought... I should like that kind of double layer, that almost postmodernism, that almost Baudrillardian sense of the unreal or the hyperreal, I should say. That it's a wrestler being a good wrestler, but the gimmick is that they're being a good wrestler. But as you can put all the layers on it that you want, it's rubbish, isn't it? There's also the fact that she's not a very good wrestler. She's clumsy and awkward and clunky. The opening of this match was Session Moth trying to get Ali Catch to drink some beer. And Ali Catch said no. She went in the back and got some Blue Wicked. And then they swapped drinks. And they drunk it and spat it out because Ali doesn't like beer. And Martina doesn't like Blue Wicked. And then they shouted at each other that Blue Wicked is the best. Oh, beer is the best. Am I just a joyless, soulless, hollow black hole of a human being? Or is that rubbish? I feel like 
I'm going to get in trouble for saying it, but I also feel like it is what it is. It feels like the Emperor's new clothes. It feels like everybody in the audience is, is going along with this. It's crap. It's not good. It's not funny. It's weird. Am I out to lunch? You know, you have that opinion sometimes when you think something is really bad and you I've, I've had it before, like, I've written a review and vice versa as well. Written a review of something and said either it's brilliant or it's pants and you, it gets put online and everyone goes, no, Neil, that's actually good or that's actually bad. And you go, but it's, it's not, is it? I, I don't know. I just, I think, maybe I'm old. Maybe I'm getting too old. I just, I, I think it's it's ridiculous. Um... You know, you're defending your favourite beverage. And at one point, the commentary said, never trust a woman who's had that many kids. And maybe I'm a soft lefty. Maybe I'm too PC. Don't think that's funny. I think it's a strange thing to say. I get the gimmick, by the way. I understand the joke that she's got kids by lots of men. But again, don't think that's funny. Do you know what was weird about this? I've just realised, I've looked at my notes and I can't believe I forgot this. I was about to move on. But the blue wicked and the beer thing wasn't the weirdest thing. Ali Catch got a knife out. Not a kitchen knife. It looked like a, a knife that you would see a box for in a really rough area as part of a weapon amnesty. I'm just not extreme enough for this because this was just casual. She's got a knife out. Like she was got a new Jack session buff. And she did, she stabbed her in her head. But it was alright though because Martina was grinding on it with blood dripping. And honestly, I am just not, I've realised this. I'm just not extreme. I feel like there's a massive generation gap for one of the first times in my life. I remember... It's, I'm putting this in the pantheon of times I remember where it hits you that you've aged this match. At the point I was just going to say that I remember that the first time I ever really had it was my friend's got a kid and he's he's a great kid. He's very, you know, he loves Star Wars and Marvel. He's a very normal kid. He's great. And he asked me once, I was babysitting, and he asked me, what was it like, Neil, to have TV without a choice. And it was such a stunningly perfect, brutal question that really highlighted that we live in a different world now. And I feel like this match is under that. Maybe that's why I hated it. Because it's not that I don't like the comedy. Maybe deep down I do find it funny. And maybe I'm absolutely okay with knives being brandished randomly in a match with barely any reaction. Maybe it's this match is a mirror to my own mortality and it's unlocked something primal in me that I can't quite explain. Or maybe it was just rubbish. Who knows? Next up, we've got Man Like Doris against Matt Cardona and I love the build to this. I've, I talked about it, actually, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember. The build between the two was fantastic. You have this really violent man like Doris delivering this brutal promo on the street saying, I'm going to do this to you, I'm going to do that to you. And he he's obviously much cooler than me. He's not saying, I'm going to do this and that to you. He's, he's really delivering it brilliantly. And then Matt Cardona big-timed him, did he? he like, I, I didn't even realise it was you I was wrestling. I don't know. I didn't know you were a worker. I thought you were just a fan. And that interaction is brilliant. And the story that Matt Cardone is telling in GCW, as in the block of it and the storyboard and the overall arc of it, is fantastic, I think. 
But obviously, you've got to have a match. And then Matt Cardona comes out and gets on the microphone and says Liverpool sucks. Well, first of all, it doesn't, does it? It's good. Like, it's good, Liverpool. There's lots of nice things there. Dale Street, I'm a big fan of. And lots of nice restaurants. And I love the people. I think Scousers are top. But then we have to have things like Cardona refusing to get in the ring. I mean, Doris saved this by shouting his phone number into the camera and telling Chelsea Green to ring him. I thought that was funny. I, I don't know, it just wasn't a very good match. It was just a really boring match. At the end of the day, he's still Matt Cardona, isn't he? And yes, I love what he's doing. I love his mind for wrestling. I love his mind for story. But the match itself wasn't that good. And this is where I kind of... You know what I was saying before about the star rating thing? That I would give this a relatively low star rating, but actually it's probably more entertaining than that would indicate. I think if I was in the building, I would I would be really into it. Um, but actually just on VOD at home, it was, you know, belt spots and ref bumps and, and, and all that usual kind of rubbish. The only thing I hope that comes out of this is that Doris impressed the right people and he gets some bookings in America. You know, he can, if he could get on a GCW show, that might be a launching pad to, to greater and bigger things because I think he deserves it. I think he's absolutely mint. So that was the first show then. Uh, this was purely a TNT show in name, but obviously it was basically 50-50, wasn't it? Uh, the Blake Christie versus Dean Allmark match is well worth checking out, actually. Uh, but I think the rest was, was a bit... was. Kind of what I expected, do you know what I mean? It's it's that thing of you have an idea of GCW, but you don't want to go in too biased. But when I'm watching it, I'm thinking, yeah, this is kind of what I thought. Um, but I bought the package from Fight. So we're locked in for night two. Let's see if it was any good, and we'll decide if... <laughs> we'll use this as the decider. If night two's rubbish, <laughs> I won't talk about night three. Um I don't know why I pretended I've not seen it. I'm sorry, it was good. So let's talk about it. So this was a proper GCW show. It's only on GCW's cage match. It's purely uh, a game-changer wrestling uh, show. And... MLJ was there, and he kind of just bumbled his way through something. I, I thought, I don't think his commentary is very good. I think he sounds like a drowsy Excalibur. I, I don't. He, he often killed moments in this by just not really reacting to them, of just kind of keeping them like, oh, this guy's done this, and it'd be something really extreme. And I felt like he needed to, to sell his product a little bit better. You know, it, it just didn't really work. But we'll, I'll, I'll point those out when we get to it. Um, we had Jordan Oliver against Blake Christian. And I've said how great already that I think that Blake Christian is. And I think Jordan Oliver is good. I think he's clumsy. I don't think he's particularly consistent. But I do think that there's definitely something there and star power there. You know, the way he comes out screaming is incredibly captivating. You kind of have to watch it. Uh, and this will be a bit of a test because, like I say, Blake's the only GCW wrestler I would say I really, really liked. We had a, some chance, but then we were straight into the suplexes. And I, I thought that was great. You know, it's just big, big, brutal suplexes. You know, I said before in the other match about how Jordan Oliver's offense felt a little bit gentle and a little bit pulled. Here it didn't at all. He really stuck things in and I, I really liked it. 
And I got so into this. It was non-stop action. And I enjoyed it. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, when you kind of forget yourself. And I, I approached it, if I'm honest, with a bit of a grumpy mindset because I didn't really enjoy night one. But by the time this match was halfway through, I was on the edge of my seat. Not literally, but I don't move. I've got spider bifida. But I was really enjoying it. And I, I, I was excited. I thought I might actually quite like GCW after this. You know, the kicks into Blake Christie and the dives, it just it was action. That and that's what I wanted. But like I said, the the commentary What the commentary was, and this is gonna sound like a little bit of a weird way of phrasing it, but I hope you understand what I mean when I say this. The commentary was sub average. So that doesn't sound too bad, but think of what average is in indie wrestling. Think of what the average indie wrestling commentary is like, and it is below that, in terms of both quality and content. This was a spot fest in the best possible way. This is what I meant before when I was talking about a good spot fest. It was good wrestlers doing good stuff, and I got really, really into it. I thought it was great. The, uh, there's a 450 springboard in this that was superb. I, I, I thought it was great. Blake Christian, I'm really into. Jordan Oliver, I, I think the jury is still out, but I'm into it. Next, we had Millie McKenzie against Ali Catch. Uh, this is the first Millie McKenzie match I've seen since she was uh, freed from NXT UK. I don't know if Ali Catch is the best place to do the judgment, but actually, this was quite a good match. Uh, it was probably because... Millie McKenzie is a really good wrestler. And it, it, she's changed a lot since she went to NXT UK. She's much more confident. She's much more self-assured in the way that she wrestles. And that is the most important thing, I think, for a wrestler. That you can, as long as your fundamentals are there and you're confident in doing it, that really, really goes a million miles. And I, I think that Millie McKenzie came across like a bit of a star here. And I think that... I think that if we start getting her back in proper places and against proper wrestlers, I think there's a lot there to 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 sink our teeth into. Honestly, though, they had a wrestling match. There were some really good German suplexes in, but they had a wrestling match. You know, it was good. It was it was good. Um, I feel a bit strange saying I liked an Alley Cat match, but I did. You know, it it was good. Then we had Matt Kurt, Matt Kurt against Matt Cardona. I've really changed my opinion on Mad Kurt, you know. And it's weird because this should tick all my boxes of not liking Mad Kurt. I like Mad Kurt when he's not wrestling. I like him when he's on commentary or he's on Twitter. And here he's wrestling. It used to really bug me in RevPro when he went up against the import because I'd want to see the import have a proper match. But he's up against the import here. I mean, it's Mad Cardona, but you know what I mean? It's just, it was really, really strange. And it's for the Internet Championship. And Kurt is the Internet Championship, isn't it? He's the Internet Champion in our hearts. He should win it. This was this was fun. And I was really entertained by this. They set up like a finger poker doom thing that Matt Cardona had made this deal that he was gonna he he, he was gonna just take the pin. But uh, sorry, he was gonna poke 
Madka and Madkurt was going to take the pin, I should say. But at the last minute, Madkurt flipped it into a crucifix. And you could see that was going to happen a million miles away. It was really obviously going to happen. And it was still entertaining. It just felt like proper quality entertainment and I can't believe I'm saying that I sound like someone completely different but it was it was really good I liked a bad Kurt match it's a bit long the chop exchange was so funny. Like Mad Kurt does these weak chops, and then he he, he builds into the uh, the machine gun chops, and he does them weak. I, I... There's a there's a something an exception that proves every single rule. And look, I thought this was good, and and I'm not necessarily ashamed to admit it. <laughs> Next up, we had a another proper death match. It was. Big Joe against John Wayne Murdoch against Clint Majera against Jimmy Lloyd. When I when I initially saw the listing for this, I went on cage match and I thought it was Big Guns Joe because I was just skimming through it, but it wasn't. It's Big Joe, which who's a man who wears tighty whities and touches himself a lot, which you know, fair play. Um, oh, these were a frightening bunch. I feel like I could ask several people in this match about barbecue and they'd be able to give me some advice, which I do need, actually. I'm trying to perfect my brisket. I could do ribs really well. I could do pulled pork okay. I'm pretty happy with everything, but my brisket just never seems to come out right. You know, I follow all the Franklin barbecue rules. I've been on how to barbecue right. I've mixed my rubs up i just kept it simple salt and pepper but it always comes out a bit chewy and a bit not as tender as it is when you go to a proper barbecue place so again if you've got any tips get in the discord this was incredibly violent there were thumb tacks and that you know i i was wondering would the nhs if you said you were in a death match would they give you would they patch you up for free if you were an import. I think they should, by the way. I'm not saying they shouldn't. Don't think that of me. I think they should. It should be free at the point of service for anybody in the country at the minute. It should be, you know, people should come here to get it. We should be proud of that. I just wondered. Um, I was almost as nonplussed by this as the commentary. They were putting each other through doors and stuff. And the commentary were just like it was Tuesday. So that's infectious, and I just treat it like it was Tuesday. Even though I'm seeing people getting fish hooks put in their mouth. Jimmy Lloyd getting a fish hook put in his mouth. Jimmy Lloyd, who, by the way, when he came in and they announced his name, tried to put his foot on the middle rope and missed. So he can't put his foot on a rope, but he can take a fish hook to the mouth. And if you're a deathmatch wrestler, I reckon that's probably the way around you'd want it. Um, I remember being in Cubs, though, when I was a kid, and we did first aid courses and things. And it do you know, you get those things like you thought you were a kid that um, that like quicksand would be a bigger deal in your adult life than it actually was. That it seemed something that was brought up a lot and then it never comes up when you're an adult. A fish hook to the mouth is kind of the same. I know how to remove a fish hook from somebody's mouth. And it's I've never seen or heard of it happening until now. So, you know, maybe I would, I would have been handy there. It's garbage, this rubbish, load of crap. Um, then we had Cole Radrick against Joe, uh, versus Joe Lando versus Leon Slater against Tony Deppen. I felt watching this probably like my dad did watching Jackass. 
when I was a kid. Like I'd watched Jackass in the early noughties and I thought it was the coolest thing and I'd be laughing my head off. And my dad would be watching it going, how do you enjoy this? This is just silly. And I thought that was a lot of this match, to be honest with you. But there was lots of action. Leon Slater was brilliant in this. He is a star. He's, again, still young, long way to go, not even got a cage match. He's brilliant. I hope he's allowed to build slowly. Like I say, lots of action. There was a a coast-to-coast. I was criticising the commentary, but Leon Slater did a coast-to-coast from corner to corner, as in not across, diagonal. And the commentary said, and I love how poetic this is, I feel like it's something that I should have thought of. They said he did his coast-to-coast along the hypotenuse of the ring. What a brilliant, lovely, articulate way of describing a brilliant spot. He did a coast-to-coast along the hypotenuse of the ring. Loved it. Thought that was a lovely line. Right, Nick Wayne against Joey Janela. Everyone loved Joey Janela. Everybody loved him. And again, he's like I was saying before, he's just not good, is he? He's just not very good. There was a balcony spot, which was cool, but it was telegraphed about 10 minutes before they did it. They just wandered out into the crowd and suddenly Joey Janela went missing and Nick Wayne just sort of stood around waiting. I noticed, actually, during that, during that balcony spot, a man in the audience had an FMW shirt. So if that's you, I love that shirt. I would I think you like a hoodie, actually. It's really cool. Maybe you got it made himself. That guy's a legend. Uh, ev- everything is was made really obvious in this. The moves themselves are really good, but they were basically playing. You could see what was going to happen way before it was going to happen, and it just didn't really work. You know, the the... Deadlift German into a door was really good, though. They sort of did a... No, it wasn't into the door. They did um, a deadlift German just in front of the door and then did a spear through the door into a package pile driver and a kick-out. So what made that exciting, really, was the kick-out. So just proper wrestling, really. Um, They did a double stomp with a door on top. And I wondered, would that hurt less? Would that not just distribute... The, the impacts along your body, sort of dividing it out and hurt less. Don't know. Maybe I'm being silly with that. Um, or maybe they were being silly. Uh, then it was Session Moth against Effie. Crowd loved them both. I mean, I don't, I don't need to say anything about this. Session Moth fancied him. But obviously, Effie's gay, isn't he? So that, that was the story of that match bit patronising really wasn't it just just not very enjoyable it was just a bit strange um, it was I just didn't get it Alex Colon against Drew Parker this started with a really good collar and elbow so that you can tell that's where my, my wrestling analysis starts I'm like oh yeah that's a good collar and elbow tie up uh, this is one of the spots I was talking about when I said about raising the game um, Drew Parker does darts to the back like like, like Phil Taylor darts to the back and the and the, the, the commentary shout 180 and all that when he does it which was I like that I thought that was pretty funny um, 
this is kind of the definition of doing stuff. You know, they were smashing light bulbs on each other. They were sticking light bulbs in each other's faces. They were throwing darts into their backs. The best bit of this was a top rope brain buster. That, I mean, that was it. it the best bit was a, a top rope brain buster. There was a bit during this that I thought was strange, where they did a top rope DDT into... Uh, a weird Jenga configuration of light bulbs. And they did that, but they both fell into the light bulbs, but only one of them sold it. I thought the light bulbs hurt, but you I, I don't know. I, 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 maybe I'm thinking too much about this because it did look good. And I think that's ultimately what it was. Um, but I don't know. It just wasn't very good. Uh, I, again, there were, there were some really high points in this. I thought, that match with um, who was it? Uh, Blake Christian and uh, Jordan Oliver was great. I thought that was a really, really good match, and I think that was my favourite match of the weekend. So actually, I'm sort of slaying things on this show, but I think generally speaking, if you pick up one match on a wrestling show that's really, really good, that's a four star plus match, it's kind of worth it, isn't it? Like you don't feel ripped off if that happens, and I get the impression that if I was there live, I'd like the stuff a lot more, but I wasn't there live, I was sat on my couch, so let's get on to the next show, this is the joint one, it's GCW versus TNT, who's going to win, we don't know, all we do know is that it's going to be extreme. I said, I've realised now, actually, that wasn't my favourite match. My favourite match was the next one. Blake Christian against Robbie X. I love Robbie X. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And yes, I talked about Dan Maloney. And I talked about uh, Leon Slater getting some bookings out of this, maybe, if they were if they impressed. But if I could choose anybody to get more bookings, it would probably be Robbie X. I think he deserves a bit of a tour. And I, I don't use words like that very often in wrestling because you don't deserve anything. It's wrestling. It's extracurricular. It's not something that you should rely on for a career or anything like that. It's something you should do in the hope that you make it rather than the acceptance that you're going to make it. But I think Blake Christine deserves... Uh, Blake Christine. Robbie X deserves a little bit more than he gets sometimes. Um, and he's really found his charisma recently. I think he's, he's really took his game to another level. Little bounces on cells and sort of little motions to the crowd that before would feel clumsy from him and a little bit forced, whereas now he can just do things so naturally. I think he's he's really, really improved. and I, I, He was great to begin with, and now I think he's really good. Um, this was just a fast, action-packed match, exactly like you'd expect, and was really good. Then we had Kings of the North against Cole Radrick and uh, Jordan uh, Oliver. I don't know about this one. Cole Radrick, he doesn't really impress me. I think he's like um, an extreme Bob Backlund. You know, he doesn't really do anything that's going to get me excited. He does a one-inch punch, uh, but he has also a really boring control period. You know, again, I think Kings of the North, I think they had an off weekend. I, I don't, it's been a long time since I've seen King of the North, so maybe you'll have to tell me whether or not this is typical of them. I remember liking them when I watched OTT. I remember thinking they were good, but this weekend they, they just didn't really serve the purpose of being the base that they needed to be for the faster wrestlers. I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't really impressed by them. Then it was Deppen against Man Like Doris. 
I noticed on the back of the TNT shirts during during this match because Man Like Darius came out with a TNT shirt, which is a shame because I like his space jacket, the got the Blade Runner inspired outfit that he wears to do his rapping in. Um, and on the back it says, "We're not here to take part; we're here to take over." And I feel like that sort of thing is a bit live, laugh, love, isn't it? It's a bit if someone says something like that, or you know, has clothing with that on, it's a bit like. Um, don't tread on me. You know, we're not here to take part. We're here to take over. Like, okay, very good. I thought, wasn't that NXT anyway? What well, didn't NXT say things like that? Whatever. Um, they really forced the tribalism with this one, the, the TNT against GCW, but they didn't really do that much elsewhere on the show. I suppose they did in the booking, as in literally it was GCW people against TNT people. But it was never really played up as a competition, which is fine. I'm not saying it should have been. But I think you needed to pick one lane or the other. Darice is so good. I love Darice. You know, catching a springboard and he's, he's, he's just amazing. You know, and he was doing great things and MLJ, you know, he catched this springboard and MLJ go, oh yeah, he caught him. And you think, oh right. I thought that was really impressive. I thought you could have sold that a bit better, but there you go. Um, Deppen's a good wrestler. You know, I've I've talked at length about my feelings about Deppen. I think he's got a ceiling, but actually he is a good wrestler. It's weird in some ways seeing these two together because he is a better wrestler than man like Darius. As in he's crisper, he's cleaner, he's got more in his repertoire, he's more competent at doing the moves. But man like Darius's charisma is just off the chart. You know, he's he's superb. And it feels strange to compare the two. You know, one is obviously a much better technical wrestler, but one is a star. The build was weird. You know, the connecting bits between the matches were a bit flat, but it was what it was. Then we've got Alex Cologne, Jimmy Lloyd, and John Wayne Murdoch against Big Joe, Clint Majera, and Drew Parker. Don't know why I stopped on John Wayne there. They didn't resurrect John Wayne for a death match. Um, believe it or not. They really brought out the weapons for this match. And I'm going to list the weapons in order of brutality. There were boards with little army men, you know, the little green army men on. There were there was a board with kitchen knives stuck in it. There were darts, obviously, because we've got Drew Parker, and that's his thing now. The most devastating weapon in this match were tea lights. You know, little candles that your mum sets up in the bath. Them. That your wife uses to melt them perfume, wax perfume things. Tea lights. They lit them and they almost immediately went out. Extreme, isn't it? Uh, they were sticking things in each other's heads. You know, they were like skewers, which I do really respect. Actually, you can't, you can't criticize that, can you? Really? Uh, there was leaps off the balcony. Uh, then Drew did it again. <laughs> you again. Here's the point about the commentary. Drew did this leap off the balcony. It was amazing. He did it like a senton, and then MLJ goes, "Oh, he he did a senton. I thought he was going to do a crossbody." I'm like, what? He's just jumped off a balcony, man. He was just so lazy. Um, there was a knife board in this that was brought in. 
uh, but the blades were really obviously dug into the board, so they weren't sticking out, which is, again, a weird thing to criticise for. Yeah, you should gimmick it. Of course you should. You know, I don't expect people to get stabbed. I don't want, in fact, I don't want people to get stabbed. That's something I actively do not want to happen in my wrestling. But you should at least make it look good. It's a big celebration at the end from all six men. You know, they they bled for this business again. Then we had Lizzie Evo against Ali Catch, which was described by the commentary as an international dream match. Um, there were some good headlocks in this, but Evo missed kicks by a mile, and it just... This seemed to be a bit of a cliff edge for the crowd. You know, the work was fine. I feel like I'm being told that Ali Catch is a better wrestler than she is, but then when I see what I see in front of me, I don't enjoy it. So it, it, it just doesn't really work. It doesn't really make sense. Then we entered the seventh circle of hell with Joey Janela against Gene Money. Uh, <laughs> Joey Janela came out to come on Eileen and then crowd surfed, which I, that is extreme. I, I, do, I do think that is extreme. Um, they did this good boy versus bad boy story. Uh, they sold it really subtly by pointing at each other's pants and shouting to the crowd, which is a really good story. Um, rubbish wrestling, rubbish chants, tapes, nipple tape all over this. There were some all right bits, like when Janela jumped. Again, this is the weird thing about these matches because they're objectively not very good. But I'm watching somebody smash their head off a chair and you can't... There's got to be a limit as to how critical you can be about that. You have to respect that. You know, there was a powerbomb into a guardrail and bent it. Not Again, it did seem like a gimmick guardrail. So bizarre. I'm a bit all over the place about this show. Now this, again, talk about the exception to every rule. This was an Effie match next that I did like. It was Effie against Visage against Shea Monet. And I don't think I've seen Shea Monet before. They wrestle in ICW a lot from looking at cage match. And that's kind of just off the radar um, at the minute. I thought they were really good. And they won the match as well. They were a bit of a heel. But it was good. And the reason why it was good... It's because this was mostly wrestling. There were large bits where Visage and Shaman A were just wrestling. And yeah, neither of them are super workers, but they're incredibly charismatic. They're really great characters. And just wrestling was really entertaining. The end was a, was a little bit flat, if I'm honest, which I think it deserved a little bit more. But I thought this was up there for me this I mean he wasn't on the level of a Blake Christian against Robbie X but it was a really competent match main event Cardona against Maloney and again I've said with Cardona that he does what he does really well that kind of main event story he can build a match and he can do this big story heavy character based main event really well and I liked the one with Mad Kurt. I know it wasn't the main event, but you know what I mean. It was a similar style. But I think because this was the third one I'd seen that weekend, I don't know. I just don't think he's a main eventer. I think that you're putting him in this spot against somebody like Maloney and it feels wasted almost. You know, it feels like this isn't... If this was like a before the intermission match, I'd be a lot more into it. 
he was all powders and heel heat and woo woo this and woo woo that and you know, there were great promos, you know, at the start that, that Cardona's talking about Moxley not sure, uh, turning up to work and he's the face of the company and he's there all the time and he's that great thing I've talked about in Heels where they're baddies but what they're saying is true. But then there was this whole thing where Cardona tries to win the crowd over while wearing a TNT top but then, oh, believe it or not, he was all the ruse and he really hates you and it's just like, all right. It's a shame, like I say, Maloney's got a great charisma. This was 23 minutes. I think it was 15. I'd have been a lot more into it. And I think it should have been better because stuff just sort of happened. So, am I a GCW convert? Have they changed my game? Not really. It was kind of what I expected, to be honest with you. That There were some really high points. You know, like I say, there was at least one match on every show that I thought was great. Every ma- every show, sorry, had a good match or two. And I think if you like death matches, I'm sure you're in a much better position than I am to criticise it. You've got to accept that this is just my opinion and I'm somebody who doesn't really enjoy death matches. I've not really seen any great ones. Don't send me any. I'm not asking you to send me any, by the way. Um, so, I don't really know. I, I I entered this weekend confused about Game Changer Wrestling and I'll leave the weekend confused about Game Changer Wrestling but I will be a lot more excited if Blake Christine's name pops up so I guess that's something. Anyway, I think we need to spend these last 15 minutes cleansing ourselves. You know, we'll light some deathmatch tea lights, relax and talk about a show in a publicly funded library. Let's go to Purpose Wrestling. Purpose Wrestling, I really wanted to talk about last time, but I waited because they had another show due this weekend and I was going to hang on and maybe talk about them together. Uh, But that show has been delayed because, um, I don't know if you've heard this, but the Queen died. So we've had to unfortunately miss out on our wrestling, which is very tragic. But I wanted to talk about this show, Everything I Love is Going to Die. They have a VOD uh, that you can sign up for. Um, and I think it's well worth it. But they also put quite a lot of matches on YouTube as well for free. So you can definitely try before you buy. And there were lots and lots of things about this show that I thought were great. You know, partly the fact that in the background there's just stacks of books. <laughs> you, know, you know by now that I'm, that's going to get an extra quarter star and everything from me because I'm an absolute dork. But there were some really, really good matches on this. Um, Starting off with Nino Bryant against Ollie Peace. I love a company that's not afraid to do a squash. And Nino Bright just squashed Ollie Peace. He just beat him out of nowhere. Not a squash, is it? He was weird. And not a squash, actually, because he, he wasn't dominant. He didn't beat him. He just shocked him. He was out of nowhere. Just a nice, quick match that I liked. And then we had Dunkzilla against Sebastian Matters. Uh, Sebastian Matters isn't a wrestler that I know. He's um, from Australia. Uh, doesn't wrestle in places that I follow. He seems looking at cage match to mainly wrestle in Australia. Um, maybe uh, a couple of lads on the website have heard of him. I'll have to ask him. But that's what I like about these shows, though. And I, I like companies that want to introduce us to new people and give a, a platform to really exciting talent. And that that was a bit of a theme in this show, I think, that they were, you were getting to see wrestlers who you weren't familiar with, with wrestlers that you were familiar with. And you know, getting to know new faces. And I really liked Sebastian Matters. I thought he was great. He felt legit. 
you know, he felt like a real wrestler. And I think Doug Ziller is really good at building sensible stories that make sense. You know, things like Sebastian Matters would overpower him for a a a, a backslide. And Dunkzilla had realised that, no, I'm the power man. I've been holding back a little bit. So we do a really insulting, dominating body slam afterwards to show that, no, it is me who's who's the powerful one. And I like that kind of storytelling. I think that kind of storytelling is great. And it, when you see things like that, you think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to like this this promotion. Then there was the Nick against, or the NIC, probably, against the 8-7 uh, eight seven is Roy Johnson, who I've not seen for a while. I've saw him at the Everything Pattern show, I think, but I don't think I've seen him since. I thought he was doing like bodybuilding and stuff. Now, um, he's much more serious than the big wavy kind of character. He's, like, he's all black, like wearing black trunks, black boots, serious look on his face. I like it. I think it's really good, and his partner as well. Alexander Roth, who's one of those wrestlers that's working in more and more places now, and you're seeing his name pop up everywhere. And this was the first match I'd seen him. I really liked him. I think he's a great promo. They lost this match, and he did a promo at the end about how he's so frustrated that everywhere he goes, he's winning, and he's really good. And there's all sorts of pictures of him on his Twitter of him carrying loads of belts, but there's just something about him. When he comes to purpose, he always loses and he, he's frustrating him and he wants that to change and he's going to come to the next match with ready to destroy people. And it was felt legit. You know, that's the great thing about the 8-7. I think they feel very legit in a lot of ways. And I really liked it. You know, they're big lads who batter people. And I, I think that's that's always a positive. Isn't it? Like, you're never going to get away from that. Now, this next match, I genuinely thought was great. I thought this was a really good match. And if you're going to seek one out, I think this is the one to find. And it was Michael Oku against Rio. And I have to admit, I was a little bit hesitant going in. Oku and Destination Everywhere uh, heals here. And they did a promo where they're sort of feuding with Northwest Strong, which Rio's part of. And he said, I'm going to challenge a member of Northwest Strong. And he goes, he goes I'm going to challenge Rio because she's a woman. Ha 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 And it was a bit, okay, you're a baddie. Do you know what I mean? It just, it jarred a little bit with me. I didn't like it. But, I mean, Rio's terrifying, isn't she? I mean, why would you pick a fight with Rio? Like, she's awesome. And, uh, Again, she's another wrestler who I think if it's been a while since you've seen her, you need to watch the match like this, her more recent work, because she's got so good. She's got, the, she always had the aura. She always had the look and the, she carried herself like a bruiser and a star. And the work was good, but it was a step behind. I think the work's caught up. I thought she was absolutely great here. You know, she's, She oozes charisma, and when she gets going with the huge uh, drops, the huge suplexes, and she's screaming between each one, it really, really is exciting. I really loved one of the spots in this where Rio was absolutely dominating, but what they played it is that, you know, Oku kind of realised that he couldn't outsmart her. Uh, Sorry, he couldn't outpower her, so he had to outsmart her. So there'd be lots of little moments where Rio would go for a kick, but he'd grab the leg and turn it into a Boston Crab. And there was a moment, and I don't know if this was accidental, but it's the kind of moment that I really love, that he got her in the, the, the half crab, which is obviously his finisher. And Rio's near the ropes, but they don't show her crawling for the ropes. The camera was on 
uh, Oku's face the entire time. And you realise that she got to the ropes when the crowd cheered and Oku looked devastated. And I thought, again, that might be an editing mishap. It might be an accident. I have no idea. But it worked. And I thought it was so, so good. Um, I, I thought this match was really good. I, little things like when... Michael Oku did the frog splash. They really committed to the knees. You know, the camera was really low and he smashed off Rio's knees and it looked like it killed both of them. And I thought that was great. There was Kira Kamara against uh, Maya Matthews. Don't really understand the Amira Blair story here, to be honest with you. And I don't think it serves any great purpose. Uh, this 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 match was okay. I thought, I thought it was good. I like both Kira Kamara and Maya Matthews. I think Maya Matthews is one to watch for sure. I think uh, Kira Kamara is a, is somebody that a lot of places could do with booking. I think she can play the tough bruiser really well. And I think she'd be, you know, I was saying about last, you know, with last time about Red Pro, how they need to start having Alex Winter be a little bit more dominant. Get her in a match against somebody like this because it won't be a squash, but she can put someone away who carries themselves with competence and carries themselves with meaning. And I, I think that'd be really good. This next match was the other great match on the show. I thought there were two genuinely great matches. And this was Dan Maloney against Mark True. Now, I don't Mark True at all, if I'm honest. And this was supposed to be Tristan Archer. So this is kind of the star power match, I think, that they put on. You know, you, you, you the drawing match. I think that's a match that would get a British wrestling fan interested. So something happened, I don't know what it was, and Tristan Archer couldn't be there. And he puts in this unknown guy who doesn't even have a cage match. And I was absolutely blown away with him. I thought he was brilliant. First of all, before I get to things that actually, you know, are actually exciting, they put on a main event style match, a big, storied, long match, and Mark True did not miss a beat. He belonged there. And I think that's really important. He didn't feel like he was carried. He was part of this match. And I think for someone who's inexperienced, for someone who is unknown, that was just on its own is so impressive. It was great that it was juiced up Chav Dambaloni because we know that's the best. <laughs> that's absolutely the best Dambaloni. And what I like, this started with technical stuff. And you forget how good Dambaloni is. He brings his terrifying attitude to everything that he does, including the technical stuff. And it really, really worked. It was great. There were so many great bits in this that Mark True really shined in. You know, like he'd, he'd, he won't kick out of a pin, he'd leap out of a pin really unique things that you don't see very often. And I thought the commentary were perfect because they told story in a sentence. You know, they'd say that this is going to be a strange match because both men have short tempers. And you got get that instantly. Adds another little layer to the match that wasn't there before. I love this insult from Mark True where he went to boot Dambaloni in the face and he paused and stopped himself and then held out his hand to shake Dan Maloney's hand. What a patronising thing to do. Brilliant. Because you know what that's going to do to a guy like Dan Maloney. And I think these are the signs of great matches, aren't they? Not the, always the big things, but the big things matter as well. But you need these little things, these little bits of seasoning. And it had it. And I thought this was a match well worth seeking out. It was awesome. True did this 
awesome dive over the top rope, flew right over Dan Maloney and into the stairs. I hope he was all right because he, he really went for it. Um, again, didn't expect anything from this. I, I expected to see this match through the lens of, okay, let's see what this Mark True can do. And by five minutes in, I was just watching a great wrestling match. that I, I wasn't thinking about the experience of the competitors at all. I, I was just watching a really, really good wrestling match. The promo after was really good as well. Because, like, like I say, Mark True just goes back. He's been put in this really high spot by accident. And he, he does this promo at the end and just says, yeah, that was the best match in purpose history. What a legend. What a brilliant match. Then it was Connor Mills against Jordan Brakes. And this was to crown the first purpose champion. Now, Connor Mills I like. Mixed feelings about sometimes, but generally he's a good wrestler. Jordan Brakes is good. He's a technical wrestler. Bit of a throwback style, but I really like how Jordan Brakes keeps it kind of subtle. You know, yes, he's got the facial hair and he, he does the old school world of sports style stuff, but he knows to keep it modern enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's not hokey. It doesn't feel like he's playing a gimmick necessarily. It just feels like he's learned about this wrestling style and he's got an aptitude for it. And that's why he's going to do it. So I thought that was really good. His monkey flip is brilliant. And they played with that a little bit as well. Like, they reverse it and they he ended up doing one into, the, into some chairs, which was just absolutely fantastic. Really cool striking exchange. Like I say, great flip. He was a throwback in a good way. And uh, Jordan Brakes ended up winning. And it was weird. I think my favourite bit of this was the promo afterwards. And I'm going to say it's a great promo. But I think if you were to watch it, you might not think it was. But I liked how understated it was. He was just calm afterwards. And he's not on the same level or even in the same sort of topic of conversation. But... Do you remember those Jake the Snake promos? And the reason why they were so good is because everybody else is ultimate ultimate warrioring their way through everything, coked up, screaming their heads off. And Jake is just calm and calculated and cold. And Jordan Brakes wasn't calculated and cold. He was the opposite. He was calm, but warm. And he said, you know, they say at every show you should be the hardest worker and I don't know if I am, but what I am is really proud to hold this belt. And I'm so proud to be the first champion. And it's not often you hear promos like that, that aren't delivered in a really corny way. You know, often it kind of becomes a bit of a, hey, I'm a blue chipper sort of outdated thing. He could do a lot of things from wrestling past that were good and keep them relevant now. And I think that's part of his work, and part of his promo, and part of his style. And I'm quite taken by Jordan Briggs. I think he's a great choice for a champion. So I really enjoyed this show. It's two hours as well, and it flies by. So yeah, there were a couple of bits that I wasn't as high on, but it was it's really, really worth seeking out. Uh, I'm, I'm subscribed to the VOD, and I'm going to be buying the rest. It's in Wimbledon, unfortunately, so it's not really... You know, I feel like I could get to a Stevenage Park, but a Wimbledon is, is a bigger ask, and I'd lo- but I'd love to go, because it seems like they've got a lovely atmosphere. So hopefully one day I can get it as part of a weekend or something. So I'm so glad I got in- introduced to uh, Purpose Wrestling, and I'm going to be watching it from now on. Uh, let's wrap things up. 
Well, I'm exhausted. I'm not used to getting four shows squeezed into my hour and a half. Uh, but we've done it. We've got a, uh, even got a minute to spare. So we could talk about cheese and crackers if you wanted. Uh, we could talk about Scotch eggs. Um, I will say, get yourself into the Discord. Uh, it's on the Voices of Wrestling Discord. And we've got a room, top group of people. Don't always talk about wrestling after a bit. We tend to talk about food. You know, we had an argument about a pork pie this week. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you're interested in, uh, get in there. Um, I can't, I can't claim that it's extreme. You know, it's it's not extreme, but you know, we we you don't want too much extreme in your life. You know, maybe I need a little bit more extreme in my life, but I feel like some of the TNT and GCW faithful need a little bit less. They need a little bit of a conversation about a pork pie every now and then. It might do you good. Follow me on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe everywhere you can. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you might want to give me a rating. And give me an honest one. I'm not begging for a five-star rating. I hope you have a lovely fortnight, and I will see you in a couple of weeks on Eurograps Express. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.